The Black and White Network presents House Calls, a show that deals with the major health issues of the day discussed with prominent doctors and researchers on the subject. And now, here's Dan and Daryl. Welcome back to Black and White. And joining us today is a gentleman who I had the opportunity of interviewing before and was so impressed with him, I decided he needed to come on and talk to my audience um, about his tremendous accomplishments. Um, Dr. Peter, uh, I could spend the rest of the program just going over your credentials. I just want to do a couple of highlights. You are an internist, cardiologist, epidemiologist, managing cardiovascular complications of both viral infection and injuries developed from the COVID-19 vaccine. You've had 56 peer-reviewed publications on the infection. You've been in, testified before the Senate um, in, in, in the United States and in New Hampshire and Pennsylvania and South Carolina and Texas and on and on and on. Uh, there's no question you have incredible credentials uh, to speak on the subject matter. So with that, if I missed anything that's important for you, please tell me, but welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Dan. You know, I've throughout the pandemic, I've tried to help as many people as I can. I'm, I'm in clinical practice, both internal medicine and non-invasive cardiology. And, uh, you know, I've been uh, very active as a, a clinical scholar and researcher and, uh, and as a news commentator. Last night, I was on national TV, Fox News with Laura Ingram picking up on a story of an epidemic of uh, hepatitis. Uh, but, you know, I'm doing the best I can. Like, I think like all good doctors have, we recognize the virus was treatable. We can treat it early to avoid hospitalization and death. And then we recognized uh, there were a, a very significant safety concerns with the vaccines, very significant, in fact, the most significant. And in addition, uh, now that we have a failing vaccine efficacy, uh, you know, the, the whole country, I think, is uh, right now very, very upset with the vaccine program. I would, I would agree with you, doctor. I uh, did an interview earlier this week with another doctor who said that um, the CDC and the FDA, uh, Dr. Fauci's operation, basically intimidated almost 90% of the doctors who knew better to keep their mouth shut. So my question to you is, first of all, thank you for your courage of speaking your mind and speaking what you believe to be the truth. But what kind of a price did you pay for doing that? You know, I, I'm probably among the 10% of doctors in a recent Texas A&M survey, 10% of US doctors say the vaccines aren't safe or effective enough for clinical use. I'm in that 10%. Uh, and, and I haven't uh, uh, promoted anything. I've been asked for my opinion on two occasions in the US Senate, as you've outlined multiple state senates, and that's under oath. You know, I'm giving my analyses under oath. And I've done my job in terms of publishing my viewpoints, not only in the peer-reviewed literature, but also as a regular contributor in the Hill last year. And then this year, I started a program on America Out Loud Talk Radio, the McCullough Report. So I've been as transparent as I can possibly be. I've never been uh, directly attacked uh, by any of my colleagues. I, I've never been uh, fact-checked or uh, discredited by anybody with credentials or anybody in a position of a medical authority, you see some uh, internet sniping from anonymous, uh, uh, uncredentialed, basically people making false counterclaims. And I think they're, they're readily uh, disposed of. What's more disturbing though, is what's happened uh, professionally. So I've had uh, uh, the non, um, 
continuation of it, a long-term employment contract and uh, then a settlement agreement, and now a lawsuit uh, from the health system that issued the settlement agreement that's been injurious. Uh, I've been named by uh, one of the popular email services, uh, you know, as the ninth worst doctor in the United States uh, that came through uh, one of the popular email services to doctors. All eight ahead of me were uh, convicted felons and people have done uh, terrible crimes. And, uh, you know, I've had a perfect academic track record, perfect clinical track record, and, you know, an employment dispute uh, hardly qualifies to be uh, among America's worst doctors. In fact, most view me just the opposite among America's best doctors. I've testified for the Congressional Oversight Panel long before COVID. I'm the most published person in my field in the world in history about heart and kidney interactions. But it doesn't stop there. I've been stripped without due process of two professorships, no courtesy phone calls, no faculty senate, uh, really the abrogation of due process, stripped of uh, data safety monitoring boards, NIH committees, American College of Cardiology committees, no phone call, no email exchange, been stripped of two editorships, long-term editorships. I've you know, poured tremendous amount of sweat equity in building up the quality of two journals, uh, stripped of the editorships there. And then I think the coup de grace was I'm a founding member and the current uh, president of the Cardiorenal Society of America. It's 600 physicians, 6,000 followers with no courtesy phone call, no board meeting, no due process. The society was dissolved. It simply was dissolved. And uh, you know the, the question is what's behind all of this? What's behind all of these actions that I just uh, stated? And you know there, there are suspicions uh, Paul Alexander, who's in our circles, former White House aide uh, and advisor to the Trump administration, former WHO advisor, Paul's been very vocal about early treatment, vaccine safety enough, because he also testified in the U.S. Senate. Paul has publicly disclosed he was approached by Pfizer, and Pfizer offered him a million dollars and $50,000 a month if he would change his course. So if, if it turns out that there's money behind all of these acts of reprisal, I wouldn't be surprised. So how, 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 how does a man of your credentials and your obvious uh, 56 peer reviewed articles on COVID and, and what, you, what you believe, um, how do you get up in the morning with all of that bad stuff happening to you? You know, I gotta tell you, I have a very busy schedule. I have a ton of patients tomorrow. I've had a busy schedule today. I'll have some time for exercise. Uh, many times, you know, in the evening, uh, you know, I'm in the Fox studios working with the Fox team, and uh, it's been an invigorating two years. I'm really at the top of my game in terms of analysis. I probably have reviewed more reports on COVID-19 and manuscripts than almost anybody in the game. You know, when our public health officials get on TV, they never cite the data. They can't cite a single study, and mm -hmm. that's indicative they're not reading the literature. That's, that's the really frightening thing. Uh, they're not. They're not. They're not able to demonstrate to me as a public servant. You know, the the public health officials they serve us, not vice versa. But as employees for us, they're not demonstrating to us that they have the academic competencies we'd like to see. They should be citing the literature. They should know the safety data on the vaccines. They should be holding safety reviews on the vaccines. None of that. We haven't heard anything for them outside of an unsupported set of talking points of get vaccinated. Doctor, I, I, I can't let this go by without asking the question. What, what happened? What do you think happened that, that the wrath of God came down on you 
But what happened to our public health system? I mean, one, I'm not a doctor. I, I don't even play one on TV. I'm a, I'm a talk show host and a, and a person who studies a lot. But the virus that created COVID-19 is in the SARS family and other SARS viruses are air, airborne deliver. Yet our, our quote, medical professionals decided to say, no, this is delivered on surfaces. And that's why we went through all this cleaning all this stuff. And yet they, they ignored the actual historical science. What, what am I missing, doctor? Why, why did we, how did these people get off track so dramatically? How did the entire medical literature, practicing doctors, scientists, hospitals, health systems, how did they completely get off track? Everything became contaminated right away. Do you know the medical literature was full of reports estimating 30 to 50% of the spread was asymptomatic as if two people could shoot the virus at each other like missiles across the room. Every respiratory illness is always transmitted from a sick patient to a susceptible person. That false narrative took off like wildfire and, uh, and it was uh, then acted upon. Uh, there, there were models that were created uh, predicting that COVID is gonna sweep across the country. I'll never forget in Dallas, uh, they spent on untold numbers of dollars taking our convention center, make it into an army hospital. They had sequestered uh, ventilators, IV poles, cots. They had military doctors waiting at, uh, waiting at the ready. You know, I was at a major medical center. We were empty, the parking lots was empty, nothing was going on. And I, you know, I, I wrote an op-ed and I communicated. I said, listen, this is a giant waste of time uh, predicated on this assumption that the virus transmits asymptomatically, which it doesn't. And then two good papers came out in 2020, Cow and Madewell clearly showed no asymptomatic spread. So the only thing we needed to do was exactly what the Great Barrington Declaration proposed. That was by Jay Bhattacharya, Martin Kaldorf, and Sunitra Gupta. It basically said, listen, just protect the elderly. Everybody return to work as normal, no masking, no lockdowns. Uh, so everything in pandemic response turned out to be wrong. Everything from the very beginning. So it was no surprise that when we got to vaccines, things went wrong pretty quickly. And we have now obvious evidence of mass corruption and fraud. And the most uh, uh, easy example is to look at the court order documents from Pfizer. Pfizer knew about 1,223 deaths that occurred shortly after receiving the Pfizer vaccine worldwide within 90 days. They hired 600 extra employees just to do the record keeping on this. Pfizer had an obligation to pull that product off the market at 50 deaths and announce to the world that their vaccine had gone wrong. Something was going terribly wrong and large numbers of people were dying. Pfizer to this day has not addressed these deaths, which are in their records in a press release. Uh, the CEO of Pfizer is still going on TV advising a fourth shot, but without discussing the safety data, which are right there uh, in the public domain uh, released by the courts. So you can tell that something is, is, is very wrong going on. Something is, is way, way off kilter. But how did, the, how did the, the medical professionals who run these various agencies, what happened to them? I, I, I know I sound like I'm a broken record, but I, I don't understand. How did they, how did they, isn't part of your, your oath as a, as a physician to do no harm? How could you, how could you say the things about these vaccines and live up to your oath of do no harm? Well, there's three possibilities. Uh, one, 
is uh, they see things as clearly as I do. They actually know the vaccines are, are resulting in large numbers of deaths and they're completely abrogating their responsibilities and encouraging the vaccines. And then inextricably, they're taking them themselves. Now that would be hard. If one truly believes a vaccine is unsafe, it would be hard to take it themselves. So I think that first possibility actually is, is, is not the one. The second possibility is that this is a product of propaganda, that these individuals were propagandized. You know, if you say things enough time, people start to believe it. If you say, listen, vaccines are safe and effective, get vaccinated, they start to believe it. It's simply propaganda. It's false information put out by people in positions of authority. So the second possibility is they're propagandized. The third possibility, which I think is most tractable, is that they're in what's called mass formation, mass formation psychosis, meaning four criteria have been fulfilled. One, we've had a prolonged period of, of isolation. Two, we've had things taken away from us that we previously used to enjoy. Three, uh, we've had constant free-floating anxiety. Uh, and then number four, we've had solutions given to us from entities of authority, and we've taken them without question. We've taken them without question. And so the examples are religious occult suicides or mass formation, Nazi Germany, was mass formation people, you know, in Nazi Germany, later on, doctors came out of the formation and they realized, oh my gosh, they committed atrocities. So the question is, will doctors come out of formation and then realize the atrocities? You know, obstetricians that forced the vaccines on pregnant women, as an example, that would be an atrocity. Uh, I reviewed today uh, a manuscript on my Twitter feed where heart transplant doctors encouraged and then later on forced the vaccines on heart transplant candidates. They publish the paper regarding COVID-19 outcomes, but they don't publish the paper of how many people succumbed with the vaccine, no report on safety. So you can see this oblivion to safety uh, while there is this uh, unbridled promotion of the vaccines. Remember the vaccines are, they do contain the genetic code for the Chinese Wuhan spike protein, which is known to be deadly. There's over a thousand papers in the peer-reviewed literature on fatal and non-fatal vaccine injuries. I mean, and they continue to mount um, more fatalities each day. And these are carefully chronicled in the medical literature. We know the spike protein is a killer. That's what makes COVID-19 a potentially fatal illness. And, and, and you know, there's so many obvious things. So for instance, we know the vaccines are not known to be safe because we don't have any long-term safety data. You know, we need to watch for five years, 10 years, 20 years. So, you know, it can't be controversial that our view would be there's no long-term safety assurances because it hasn't been long enough. Another thing that's, that shouldn't be controversial is that once somebody's already had COVID, it's too late for a vaccine because the vaccine's only claim is to prevent COVID when someone hasn't had it. And there's no claim that the vaccines do anything after you've already had COVID because it's too late. So, you know, these types of uh, axioms, here's another one. Uh, the only way to prevent a hospitalization is to do a therapeutic intervention before the hospitalization, right? It, it should be uncontroversial that we can't wait till somebody's hospitalized to prevent a hospitalization. It's too late. So the hospital is too late. Having COVID is too late for the vaccine and we can't possibly have long-term safety data because not enough time has gone by. But when we have these very self-evident non-controversial things and people seem confused or uh, they have discontent over these, those are symptoms of absurdity, that they're behaving with absurdity and absurdity is diagnostic of mass formation. 
Arthur, the the um, the personal experience I had is that I had the two Moderna shots, and within seven months, uh, I won't go to a long story. Uh, a doctor, uh, someone of your profession in the University of Pennsylvania Medical School, who felt the same way you did, and it was outspoken, suggested I get an antibody test. And I found uh, six months after I had had both tests, I had virtually no antibodies. Nothing was there. Uh, I got the, he said I should get the Pfizer first shot, got that within 10 days. I had a severe attack of vertigo um, in the, February, I got COVID-19, and when I finished COVID-19, I, I had a heart attack. And so, um, uh, but I'm living with it. I'm, I'm dealing with it. What I'm concerned about, doctor, more than anything else, is the idiocy, and that's being kind, that we want to put jabs in children under five, under 11, how, how can we take an experimental vaccine, which is what it's called, an experimental vaccine, and subject, subject another generation of children who don't need it? I mean, I've studied the numbers. I've talked about the numbers, the number of children dying of COVID who, who have uh, pre-existing conditions uh, is minuscule. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's infinitesimal. And yet we're, 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 we're putting something in these children's bodies, where, as you said a few moments ago, we don't have any research to support what the outcome's gonna be. And because the government gave immunity to the vaccine manufacturers, if 10 years or 15 years from now, we've got a generation of children that are damaged, who's gonna pay for that? Well, just a couple of comments, just first regarding your case. You know, I think, I think there's going to be a cumulative dose toxicity of the spike protein. So you got your first dose of spike protein, which is produced after you take the genetic material with shot one, then shot two. It sounds like you may have actually even had a shot three. So it's three doses. Yeah, then you get the respiratory infection. So now you've got exposure number four. Your body has been loaded with spike protein, which is incredibly thrombogenic. And then sure enough, you have a heart attack, which is now well uh, observed in the literature. So, uh, you know, that's the problem with uh, doing this. Uh, you know, COVID-19 respiratory illness is bad enough as it is, but now it's all this cumulative toxicity. Many have said that, oh, COVID-19 is worse than the vaccine or vice versa. I said, listen, it's irrelevant. The majority of people who've had COVID-19 in our country, 80% of them taking the vaccine anyway. So a huge amount of the population is having a multiple dose exposure of, of the spike protein. Good example is my favorite college football announcer, Herb Kirkstreet. Uh, he has COVID in December of 2020, then ill-advised, he takes the vaccine in April of 2021 saying there's no other way, I need to take the vaccine. And now sure enough, now he can't make the NFL um, draft because he's got a blood clot. And there is a paper up on the, my uh, Twitter feed right now by uh, Ron Cotti et al. from uh, Italy, basically showing the blood clots can occur, the fatal ones can occur months afterwards, months after the, uh, the vaccines. So we have a situation here where they're, they're not sufficiently safe or effective. And then now you bring up the issue of children. My analysis is from the registrational trials published by Frank and by Crowther. And then the big safety paper published by House and colleagues in MMWR 
December 31st issue of 2021. The vaccine makes the kids sicker than COVID-19, the respiratory illness. It really does. It's clear. The kids will be better off getting COVID because it's so mild than getting sick with the vaccines. And that doesn't take into consideration all the long-term safety situations. So we have a paper published in Lancet where children develop multi-system inflammatory disorder. They end up on the mechanical ventilator. Can you imagine as a parent having a teenager or, or a prepubescent child end up on the ventilator? We have 200 cases, uh, 200 papers on myocarditis, heart inflammation. It's serious. 90% of the kids need to be hospitalized. It's explosive after shot two. 90% in boys. Peak age is actually 18 to 24. Now fatal cases. Gill and colleagues from Connecticut reported two boys took Pfizer on days three and four after the second dose of Pfizer. They're found dead at home by their parents. They don't even have a chance at CPR. I can tell you one death is too many. One death, this product should be off the market. It's like having one death with a, a car or a bad product that got sold. One death, the products should be off the market, never to be considered in children. I know that uh, uh, studying the, the FDA on approvals, that um, <clears throat> normally they recommend in clinical trials that they be out for three years and there's gotta be at least 3000 people in the clinical trial. We've got tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people in the clinical trial, but not three years. We still don't have three years under this, this virus and this vaccine. I, I, I'm really concerned doctor about not only the medical issues that you just talked about as a result of taking the vaccine, but what we did to sequester and isolate our families, shut down our businesses, our churches and schools. And um, I think there's gonna be another potentially major price that we're gonna to have to pay. Yeah, I agree. I was on Eric Bolding, uh, uh, Eric Bolding's show in the last week, and they asked me about masking in children. And uh, many psychologists have published on this, including uh, Mark McDonald, psychiatrist in LA. The children, you know, minute by minute, need to read facial expressions to form words, et cetera, and to have them in masks. You know, in some of these scenarios, the children have to wear the masks, but the teachers don't. It almost seems punitive for these children to be in masks all day. Uh, again, a recent report from the CDC shows 75% of the kids have already had COVID. The masks can't possibly do anything. There's never been any school outbreaks, never been credible student to teacher spread where there were serious outcomes in the, in the teacher. We should have never done anything with the kids. Just let them be. They don't need masks. They don't need vaccines. An occasional child will need treatment. And I have advised on this or directly been involved. You can use some inhaled budesonide or albuterol. There may be an occasional child with cystic fibrosis, where we have to use advanced therapies. You know, we can use monoclonal antibodies down to age 12. Uh, uh, recently, uh, there's been a trial, actually one of the few successful trials with remdesivir by Gottlieb and colleagues. Uh, you know, it can be used down to age 12, adult type of dosing. And then there's been a recent uh, single blind pediatric study, which looks pretty desperate. The kids were in the hospital on ECMO and mechanical ventilator, but it's not as if there's nothing can be used. Paxlovid can be used down to age 12. So this idea that children should take the vaccine, otherwise they're destined to be hospitalized, that's not supportable at all. The only hospitalizations I've ever seen in children in the literature or deaths has been because of lack of treatment. So I, I, I may be um, 
um, a little uh, conspiracy theory here, but it, I, I'm amazed at the influence <clears throat> that the teachers unions had in formulating COVID policy as it relates, relates to schools and shutting down the schools and demanding that children be vaccinated. Um, again, I, I have to come back to the same question, doctor. What happened that our society turned over informed reasonable judgment decisions to panic and, and irrational behavior? Something has gotten in the minds of people to hurt other people. And there's examples of this all over, uh, doctors in Scandinavia, Northern Europe doing euthanasia to seniors who develop COVID. Do you know there's grandparents that uh, demand the grandchildren get vaccinated and the, then the children are damaged uh, or die with the vaccines uh, in order to see the grandparents? And now this example of the teachers uh, really pressuring the children to take the vaccines and damaging and harming the children. Something is in the minds of people to harm other people right now. And it's going on all over. It's a subplot going on, but you, you can almost sense it everywhere. You know, the World Health Organization says the one place you shouldn't use remdesivir is late in the hospital in adults. World Health Organization says it results in more deaths, kidney uh, uh, damage and liver damage. Uh, European Society of Critical Care agrees. Do you know in the United States, that's the most frequent use of remdesivir in the application where it causes more harm than good? Uh, do you know a lot of our really good products like monoclonal antibodies don't get the time of day? There's no billboards, there's no public interest programs, the hospitals don't feature them, seniors don't know where to find them. The whole thing from the very beginning, COVID seemed to be about. Uh, making this as painful as possible. So there was a suppression of early treatment to promote fear, suffering, hospitalization, and death, I think, to promote mass vaccination. And mass vaccination is clearly not safe because it's led to large numbers of people dying with the vaccine, and it's clearly not effective because people uh, easily get COVID. The December 10th CDC report at MMWR indicated 79% of people getting COVID with Omicron were fully vaccinated. It was clear the vaccines have failed across the board. So in the, in the moment or so we have left, uh, real quick, um, if I could, are attitudes changing? Are they still as paranoid as, as you have articulated? Are, you, are, you, are people coming back to you and maybe apologizing for the way they treated you or or offering you opportunities to come back and, and do what you were doing before or not? No, no apologies or no uh, open doors yet, but I can tell you uh, more and more are coming out. I just finished the Save a Generation tour in Florida. We're doing big public programs for doctors, healthcare workers and the public. They're coming out in droves, more and more media exposing it. You heard Elon Musk acquiring Twitter uh, I heard through social media experts today that they dissolved the unfollow function. Many of the leaders like myself, they were putting these programs to block uh, followers to, and follow me on Twitter uh, as an example. And, uh, you know, hopefully we're going to break the bonds of censorship and bring truth out. So many have been damaged uh, with the respiratory illness and now the vaccines. Uh, we need to drop the mandates, drop the vaccines across the board treat the occasional high-risk patient that comes up. We need to educate doctors, have educational programs on treatment. There may be um, more waves of virus and cases that we need to treat. Uh, but the emergency phase is over with. We need to drop all emergency declarations, all emergency countermeasures. 
return to normal. Return to normal is healthy. It's the only way to break this grip of fear, propaganda, and mass psychosis. Return to normal. Dr. Peter, how do people follow you? You can follow me on America Out Loud Talk Radio, McCullough Report. I issue a report weekly to the nation. My Twitter feed is P underscore McCullough MD. I'm also on Instagram across the other platforms. I just joined Truth Social. The follow uh, name there is just Peter McCullough MD. So you should find me there. I am uh, uh, summarizing manuscripts, all fair balanced, uh, all about safety and efficacy. And I continue to be, uh, be very active. There may be more sets of testimony uh, coming up and I'm, I'm happy to provide everything I can. I've tried to help my patients. I've tried to help the nation at large and help the world uh, in the best way I can. I think every doctor owed that uh, to the world uh, with their skills in the middle of this crisis. Doctor, it was a, an absolute pleasure and incredibly informative. I want to uh, put you on the spot and say, uh, I learned a lot about spike protein that I didn't know, and I'd love to invite you to come back and we do a show talking about spike protein. Yeah, I think we should. Uh, you know, I, I read a recent monograph by Steve Hatfill, who is a physician associated with the White House uh, early in the pandemic response. Uh, many are working on this. I've published now several papers uh, with uh, Anthony Karagakoulos and now Stephanie Senoff. Um, but maybe it'd be nice to have a little panel on and we can talk about it. The spike protein is clearly worth talking about. It is the pathogenic mechanism by both the respiratory illness and the vaccines are injuring the human body. Dr. Peter, thank you so much for your time and your Good. knowledge. Thanks for having me. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Bye. The Black and White Network presents House Calls, a show that deals with the major health issues of the day discussed with prominent doctors and researchers on the subject.